Well, good morning. If you have little ones up through grade six even, and they'd like to be in children's church, that would answer my question if we had enough staff to man children's church today. For the rest of you, turn to Luke chapter one, will you? Luke chapter one. While you're doing that, just out of curiosity, how many spent three or four hours assembling something for their children in the middle of the night? What? And I guess... Uh, I guess I was in a, in, a, uh, in a class all by myself. Laura and I were chuckling the other day about um, how many times we, it was three in the morning, we were putting together a Hot Wheels track with a thousand pieces and stickers on top of that with, for everything. And um, so great, good memories. You know, if you're in that, if you're in the middle of that, that's, that's really the best time of life. It's the most exhausting kind of life uh, with your children growing up around you, but the best time of your life. So enjoy that and, and um, thank the Lord for the blessings of, of little ones because they're going to grow into big ones that will be a blessing to you in, in the future. And so take your time with them now and you won't be sorry. Luke chapter 1, 26, uh, we spend some time and worship a little differently today. We set aside our verse-by-verse study through Second Corinthians and just be reminded of some important truths because the way Christmas landed, we're going to do this today, but I think it'll be a blessing to you. Look at verse, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The story is familiar to us. We read it every Christmas time. We ponder its meanings, and we try to place ourselves in that situation. Uh, what would it have been like to be Joseph, and, and what did Mary think when the angel first came? It says that she was greatly troubled at the statement that she was favored and kept wondering what that was going to lead to, and she found out shortly. What does it mean that the Lord was with me? How will I explain my pregnancy? What will people say? Those kinds of questions come up, of course, and, and, and those are answers that we want to ponder. Luke's account is chronological according to chapter 3, verse 1. He goes through and explains it systematically. He keeps it all in order, which is one of the reasons why we read it that way. We, we enjoy it so much. It tells from a historical perspective, the angel visited Mary. It told of her uh, impending birth. It tells her a little of the impact the Son of God is going to have. And he tells her a little of the theology of God coming as a child. Now look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1, if you would. Now it came about in those days that a decree went forth out, of, uh, out from Caesar Augustus that the census uh, census would be taken, uh, all of our inhabited earth, and this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was at the house and the family of David in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him. 
so Luke proceeds with the account. He, he names the rulers of the time, uh, Caesar Augustus. Augustus is a, a Roman Senate title, meaning exalted one. So the exalted one comes into the rule. The ru truly exalted one comes into the world when the world was ruled by the one who's called exalted. I think that's an interesting um, parallel. And, uh, Publius Quirinius was governor of Syria. We understand when the times of those rulers are between 6 and 4 B.C., he names the situation at the time, a, a census or an enrollment, and started a, a cycle of, of enrollments that were to occur every 14 years. And so the stage is set uh, for the Son of God, Jesus, to come and be born into the world. And, and the question that I had, is, and this is a topical uh, sermon, but the question I have is, what, what if he hadn't come into the world? How would the world be different than it is now? And uh, setting aside, of course, the lostness of, of the human race, still without hope. Certainly that would be an obvious, uh, horrible consequence of that, salvation having not been accomplished yet. But I started thinking about this last week. In fact, I, I think I said that to you last week, you know, um, when we were virtually meeting with Eli and, and Jessica Elliott, and how very biblical it was and very natural to us that our evangelism efforts would include sending out missionaries from the church and, and we, to make the message of the hope of salvation available to unreached people, particularly in the Amazonian Basin, uh, with Eli and Jess going there and speaking, and, and we'll be ministering to tribes there that haven't heard. And we, we didn't even think twice about it. I mean, we, we, we were grateful. We understood that was part of our mission, and, and, and we were grateful for the impact they undoubtedly will have in, in a lot of areas, bringing the gospel, of course, but so many other things as well that will come along with their presence there. It's such a blessing, and, and the ministry they will do and how we're partnered together with them, all because God came in human flesh. And, and I mention that because, you know, when we had them on the 20th, it was just so, it just kind of resonated with me. I just thought, you know, we're just, we're just so grateful to do this, and we just look at them, we just think, man, I'm glad we're partnered with them, and we're praying for them, and all that. But, you know, they're there, and we assume that they're going to be there, but we're there because Christ came into the world. And all these things were set into motion because he was there. And so the question is, what if he hadn't come? And, and it's not an unusual question because actually it's part of what Jesus deals with uh, in that scenario in, in John 15. You can flip there if you would. Perhaps you haven't noticed this, but the wording he uses is an interesting wording. John 15, 18, it's the same question he says, actually, as he's talking to his disciples, same question he asks and, and then makes the statement, uh, what, would ha what would have happened? But in John 15, verse 18, and, and Nan Weeks wrote a little sh short story we're going to read in just a minute that has to do with this passage. But um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting scenario. Look at verse 18 of John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So Jesus comes and the world hates him. So uh, he's in the world. It wouldn't have happened had he not been there. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. In other words, if he hadn't come, they hadn't hated him, um, they wouldn't hate you, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave's not greater than his master, verse 20. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also, verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Now mark this, verse 22, here it is. Jesus actually says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. Now, What's that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that they wouldn't be guilty of sin. It wouldn't be that they wouldn't be lost. They would. Uh, what they, they would still be lost without God, without hope. They wouldn't know, though, the depth of their own deliberate sin of rejecting the Messiah. So they wouldn't have that on their conscience. The, the main sin that they're, they're guilty of here, uh, apart from being part of Adam's race and condemned, 
is that they've rejected the Messiah. So if he hadn't come, they wouldn't have that sin of rejecting the Messiah. And, and, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also, if I had not done among them the works which no one else had done. So again, if he hadn't come and performed the works, uh, they wouldn't have the sin of rejecting the one who was doing all the works. And even Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, if you don't hear my words, at least look at the things that I do. That proves who I am. Uh, but now they have been both seen and hated me and my father as well. So obviously we wouldn't have the knowledge of the sin, of the, con- of the consequences of sin, certainly a most terrifying reality. But uh, Nan Weeks takes that passage and she puts it into a great short story. I'm going to read it to you. It's, it'll only take a minute. Um, it's kind of a children's story, but I think that you'll enjoy it. It's, it's quite old, but it's, uh, I think, appropriate. She starts this way. She says, it was Christmas Eve after Bobby had carefully hung his stockings by the fireplace. He went off to bed. Usually Bobby didn't like to go to bed early, but tonight he was eager to go to sleep so as to be sure to wake up early to see his gifts. For their daily Bible lesson that day, Bobby and his father had read Jesus' own words to his friends found in John 15, 22. Five words had stayed in Bobby's mind and kept, he kept saying them over and over again as, as he fell asleep. They were the words, if I had not come. It seemed as if he'd not been asleep any time at all when a cross, harsh voice said, get up, I tell you, it's time to get up. Thinking about the skates he wanted and the flashlight and the motor and the books for which he'd been wishing, Bobby got up and he hurried into his clothing and went downstairs, but all was still. No one was there to greet him, no stockings hung by the fireplace, no wreaths were in the window, no splendid tree. Hurrying to the door, Bobby looked down the street, the factory was open, he could hear the rumble of the machinery, he grabbed his cap and his sweater, and he raced down the street to the factory door and there stood a grim-looking foreman. What's the factory running on Christmas for, he asked. Christmas, asked the man, what do you mean? I've never heard of that word. This is one of the busiest days in the week we have, so clear out. Filled with wonder, Bobby hurried on down the street towards the stores, and and to his amazement, he found them all open, the grocer, dry goods, baker. Each one was busy and cross, each in reply to his question about Christmas. What's Christmas? When he tried to explain it's Jesus' birthday, and that's the first part of the word Christmas, actually means Christ, and refers to Jesus, he was gruffly ordered to move along as this was a very busy day. Going around the corner, he thought, well, I'll go to church, our own church, for there's to be a Christmas service there. And at once, Bobby stopped short before a big, vacant field, and he mumbled to himself, I guess I'm lost. I was certain our church was here. I, I know it was. And then he noticed a sign in the center of the big, vacant lot, and going nearer, he read the words, if I had not come. And suddenly, the meaning of it all dawned on the puzzled boy, and he said, oh, I get it. If he hadn't come, that's why there's no Christmas Day or any church. So he was wandering along in kind of a gloomy way, and he, when he thought about the box of toys and games his class had sent to the orphan's home, and he said half aloud, I guess I'll go and, and up there to the home and see the children open their presents. But when Bobby reached the place, instead of seeing the name of the home over the gateway, he read these same five words, if I had not come, and beyond the archway, there was no fine building. Seeing an old man feeble and ill by the roadside, Bobby said, I guess you're sick. Uh, I'll run to the hospital and tell them to send an ambulance for you. But when he reached the grounds, no splendid building was to be seen, nothing but signs and posters bearing the words, if I had not come. As Bobby hurried back to the corner where the rescue mission had been, he said, I'm sure they'll take this guy in here anyway. With Men with angry faces were gambling and swearing all over the door. Bobby saw instead the names of the mission he saw, if I had not come. Thinking... Still about the poor old guy, Bobby hurried home to ask his father and mother to help, but on his way across the living room, he waited to look up the Bible, these words, if I had not come. But turning past the pages of the Old Testament, he found that there was no new part. 
After Malachi, all the pages were blank, and as he held them up to the light on each one, he could see a faint outline of the words, if I had not come. For the sign, Bobby said, what, what a terrible world this is. No Christmas, no churches, no homes for orphan children, no hospitals, no rescue missions, no nothing but jails and, and gambling houses and police patrols and sickness and wrong. And, and then there came the sound of bells. The chimes were playing and Bobby listened and sure enough it was his favorite hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. And when he, then he heard his mother's cheery voice saying, Merry Christmas, Bobby. And with a joyful bound, he was out of bed. And kneeling down, he said, Oh Lord Jesus, I thank you that you did come. And I'll show you how thankful I am, but always trying to be the kind of boy you want me to be. And it's, uh, it's an easy story to read and, of course, obvious in its, in, in its direction. But it, it, bears, it bears some merit, doesn't it? Because when we think about the things that we enjoy in our world, as broken as it is, uh, we know that some of the best things in this world are as a result of believers coming to faith and then doing those kinds of things. The prophet Isaiah relayed that Jesus would come. Isaiah 9, 6, we read this on Thursday night. It says, for a child shall be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end of the increase of his government or of peace, much like the angel told Mary. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, there shall be peace to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish all of this. And we spent a lot of time thinking about the, about the spiritual impact of, of Christmas, and it's important that we do. It is the reason Christ came to seek and save those that were lost. We don't spend as much time, perhaps, thinking about the social impact of Christ and Christmas, but they're connected. And even if you haven't been born again, you've been impacted by a child that was born 2,000 years ago. Isaiah says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and because he is that, Believers have ministered grace to hurting, and they still do it today, don't they? Because he is a wonderful counselor, he gives you the ability to minister kind words, gracious words, uh, important words to those who, who need it. I think of prison ministries and counseling ministries, all because he is a wonderful counselor and of his fullness we've received. He's mighty God, and because Christ is mighty God, and because that is his title, believers have trusted him to accomplish things all throughout the ages, things he he would want them to do things they couldn't do without his help, but because we know that Christ is mighty God and that he, there is no limit to his power, we don't, uh, we don't quail away from, from those things that we couldn't do without him. And we still look to him to do things now through us. Many of the steps of faith that you've taken and this church has taken over the years and uh, it has come because we trusted the fact that Christ is mighty God and in charge of all those things. Isaiah said he's the eternal father, and because Christ is the eternal father, believers have invested their time and their talent and their resources, and they have done that because they knew that, that uh, his kingdom doesn't pass away, and they've done it because they knew the things they did, they did for his kingdom and not for theirs, and they were motivated by the fact that Christ keeps track and rewards those who are faithful and rewards those who have built his kingdom, and we still do it today, and he, he operates in the same way. And what we do that will last is done with that motivation, isn't it? And Isaiah says he's the Prince of Peace. And again, because Christ is the Prince of Peace, peace with God and the peace of God, the peace from which believers throughout the ages were comforted, they comfort others. You've received of his peace, and you can give that to someone, even apart from, 
uh, from the circumstances around you. You impart peace because Christ brought peace, and we do that. The peace we've received in spite of our circumstances uh, and others have received in spite of difficult times. They have, they have passed on, even those who found themselves in hopeless situations. Then Isaiah says, much like he, uh, the angel said to Mary, uh, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And because uh, once started in Bethlehem, there would be no end of Christ's government. It seems odd, doesn't it, to think that that's actually what the passage says when we think about governments throughout the ages. But, um, and through that government, peace and justice and righteousness and believers have sought to establish his kingdom now and, and with churches they planted and missionaries they sent and, and, and they have influenced and established governments and, uh, that reflect God's priority. And many of the laws that are in place are there because believers understood that's what God expected of people. And even now, 2,000 years later, we don't worry about failure in our service to him because we know his kingdom will prevail and we just go forward and do the things we're supposed to do. And because believers have a sense of justice, because he has justice, uh, we uphold that, and we, we, he's given it to us, and we, we pursue justice, and we pursue mercy, and we cry out for the abused and the neglected. And, and I just, you know, I think about how many ministries have been started that are just like that, that are focused on those kinds of things. How many ministers, ministries like that would there be if he had not come? None. And because Christ is righteousness, righteousness was imputed to all of us, and, and we can know how to do works of righteousness, and, and because he modeled that for us, we, we, like those who've come before, can model it for others. And then it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish all of this. And because God was accomplishing his will through Christ, uh, believers have known that what they did for Christ would be successful, that uh, we trust in that encouragement today. We know the Lord doesn't forget that, and, and they knew they didn't need to be discouraged no matter what the outcome. That's why they could go to their death rejoicing and saying, I've run the race, I've fought the f fight, I've kept the faith. That's why the death of Christ is victory. That's why giving up your life saves it and losing your life finds it. All of those kinds of things are part of the joy of Christ coming into the world. The zeal of the Lord to accomplish his will in Christ through us always ends up in victory. And though we see this passage in Isaiah 9, 6 and following, we see really completely fulfilled in the future, obviously, does the world benefit now from Christ's birth in history? I think we can certainly say it does. Even apart from the full fulfillment that Isaiah 9 is going to see, Jesus had a birth in history. Christ was born into the world, not from it. He, he didn't evolve out of history. He came, he came into it from the outside. Jesus is not the best human being. He's a being that can't be accounted by the human race at all. He's not man becoming God, but God incarnate, God coming in human flesh, coming into it from the outside. His life is the highest and the holiest, entering in at the lowliest door. Luke 2, 5 says, And she was with child, and it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him at the end. And so goes the story of the child that would change the world coming into the world. And because of him only, the world has changed for the better. And unbelievers receive the benefit every day because this child was born in history. Howard Thurman's poem, When the Song of the Angels is Stilled, really captures that whole idea. It says, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, 
When the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to build the nations, to bring peace among brothers, and to make music in the heart. And that's our work. Of course, the gospel is primary, but that's the impact the only, only, the only Son of God would have in the world. And can the question, can the mighty, almighty God visit the earth, come in, in human form, and, and it not be changed, even in areas that affect non-believers? Uh, many of those things that, that were changed for the better, they're too numerous to count. Culture, government, society, the quality of life, the sacredness of life, you know, things that are taken for granted every day, things that we took for granted when we watched Eli and Jess, and we decided it's so great for them to be there, but it's all because Christ came into the world, that they're even there. And the, uh, things that we take for granted, they're, they're a direct result of, of a changed life, which resulted in a changed behavior and a response to Christ's goodness and compassion that resulted in the extension of compassion to someone else, either through going or giving or a little bit of both. And those things will be used to testify, I believe, against an unbelieving world. The things that are around them that make the world worth being in are a part of the good gifts that God gives. And if he hadn't been born in the world, the world would certainly be a different place. But he was. He has been. And then the question for us is, has he been allowed to make his home in you? And you know, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me was, is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And verse 16, mark this, For of his fullness, mark it, of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. See, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. You know, every, everybody loves Jesus the baby. We talked about that on Thursday night. It's Jesus the man everybody has trouble with. You know, the world argues about things concerning Christ, usually around this time of year and around uh, Easter. You know, some have trouble with his miracles. Thomas Jefferson writes a Bible that excludes all of that. You know, could he have fed the 5,000? You know, could he have given sight to the blind and made the lame walk? You know, was that even possible? How could he be born of a virgin? Is such a biological anomaly even possible? What about atonement? You know, how could his death, one person, possibly affect the outcome of everyone? You know, some find difficulty with the empty tomb. How could he have risen from the dead? Uh, many have difficulty with Jesus' exclusivity. You know, why is he the only way? But the, the real difficulty with Christianity isn't found on, you know, Christmas Eve or Good Friday or Easter Sunday, you know, or, or any of the days uh, during the three years before all of that. The, the real difficulty, uh, the real fantastic claim is what no one seems to have difficulty with is that Jesus the baby, the incarnation. So we kind of paused on that on Thursday, the, the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. That's because, and it's because most don't understand all of that. Uh, the problems they think they have with Christ the man are solved with understanding Christ, God became a baby. The word became flesh. God became a man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than, than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And the more you think about this, the more staggering it is. You created everything, came in the form of a child. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the Incarnation. Once the incarnation is understood and grasped as a reality, difficulties with Christ, the man, dissolve. 
Jesus is no more than a good teacher and a good person and a remarkable man than, than believing what the New Testament tells us about his life and his work and what he said would be difficult indeed. But if Jesus Christ is the same person as the eternal word, which he is, and that word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only one of the Father, then it is no wonder that he would be able to heal and create and, and, and during his coming into the world and his life in it and his exit from it, it's, it's not strange that the author of life should rise from the dead. What's more startling is that the author of life should die, not that she, he should rise. And once we admit that Jesus did die, and most agree that he did, it's, it's not unreasonable that such, such a vicarious death and a resurrection should have a major impact on the world of a doomed race and be the motivation for all who've experienced salvation to ask question of their fellow human being. He was born into the world but has he come in to live in your heart? This is the, this is the, the important question of our, of our existence. And once we really attempt to understand what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, as Charlie West, Charles Wesley put it, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. It becomes unreasonable, really, to find difficulty in any of the things Jesus the man said or did. It becomes this really beautiful picture, and it's framed and it's matted, and it goes together perfectly, God putting on flesh, that's the difficult part. That's the part everyone accepts and celebrates. But by embracing it and all of its ramifications, we make sense of all the other things the New Testament contains. John 1.16, for from his, from his fullness, we have all received. So we share in the compassion and the concern for the lost and, uh, that brought him from heaven's glory uh, to begin with. And we should be, be being conformed in his image and sharing in that fullness and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. I remember an old poem by Jay Bateman. I wrote it down a long time ago. I really like it. It's, it says this. It says, the only cards that really count are that extremely small amount from real friends who keep in touch just because they love us much. Some ways indeed are very odd by which we hail the birth of God. We raise the price of things in shops. We give plain boxes, fancy tops. And stuff which traders cannot sell, thus parceled, go extremely well. We dole out bribes we call a present to those to whom we must be pleasant. And time draws near the birth of Christ, a present that cannot be priced, given 2,000 years ago. Yet if God had not given so, he still would be a distant stranger and not the Christ child in the manger. Jesus Christ was born into the world from the outside, so he must come into you and I from the outside. I witnessed to many people over the years, and people tell me often, you know, I've always known God, I've always been with him, and, and my response is, well, I understand the sentiment, and you were raised in a Christian nation, and perhaps you had a lot of influence in that way, but the scripture's pretty clear You've been created by him, and you certainly know his existence because all men are guilty of that and know that he exists, but you haven't known him, not as we've read in John 1. You've received of his goodness, but you haven't known him. You've been a beneficiary of all those who've received him, and that's made your world a lot better world, but you haven't known him personally. Jesus said, to that, you must be born again. As he spoke to Nicodemus, who certainly knew who God was, and knew a lot about God, Jesus spared very clear. In the words of the angel in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, 
Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day. He's telling the shepherds, this is for you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4.19, Of whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. In other words, this is news for you. But if you haven't been born again, if your heart has not become a home for him, then you haven't received it yet. And, you know, we don't often give, give uh, the gospel out unless the passage indicates the gospel, but this is the time. And, and many times uh, you'll have relatives who are with you or who have been with you over the holidays. It's the time to make sure that you demonstrate what it looks like for Christ to be born in you. It's also a time to make sure they understand how that happens. And, you know, many times people think God is all judgment and wrath. And, and even John 1.17 says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth are realized through Jesus Christ. The baby in the manger has explained him. Came into the world, but have you confessed your sin and repented so that your heart can be a place where Christ can come to stay? Because that's what's required. I cannot enter into that realm of the kingdom of God unless I'm born from above by a birth totally unlike any other birth. You must be born again. And it is a command, but it's more of a foundational fact. Uh, the, the characteristic of the new birth, I've said the same thing about my sin that God says. I've confessed it. I yield myself completely. I made new through forgiveness of the sin that was paid for on the cross and then shown to be sufficient by the raising of Christ. And when that happens, when you come and confess and you repent of what you've done, you have made your heart his home and that immediately begins the work that he has through the Holy Spirit in your life to make that likeness of Christ in you and his nature begins to work through you and of his fullness you've all received. And we begin to make a difference that he wants us to make in the world and then mark it, beloved. No one has to wonder what it would be like if he hadn't come because you're doing the work that he sent you to do. So. God made manifest in the flesh. It's what's made profoundly possible for you and me by his birth in the world and by your rebirth in him. And Christmas really has no meaning apart from that. I'd like you to bow with me. We're going to dismiss in prayer and and give you a chance to, to kind of ponder these kinds of things. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to be in passages we know so well. And we read them, we see them in cards, we, we listen to them in songs, and yet they're so profound, but they really beg the question, what have we done with this Christ who has come? And Father, my, my prayer for all who hear this message is this, that they understand that as Christ who was born here, the angel celebrated that he'd come for you. There's a problem, though. Just like the rest of the world, his own didn't receive him, and neither do we. We love our sin, and we love the fruit of our sin, because although temporary, it seems satisfactory. And yet, if we were okay, and everything was going to be okay, Christ wouldn't have had to come, live, and die, and rise. And so my... my I beg you, as Scripture says, be reconciled to God through Christ. Confess your sin. In other words, say the same thing about your sin 
things that you hold on to that God says about them, that they have put a curse on you and you're under a curse and headed for eternal death. And you're worthy of that. Living a life of sinfulness, embracing sinfulness and sinful behavior, even if we do all the right things on the outside, we know our own heart hasn't been changed. Confess, say the same thing about your sin that God has said about it. Repent, tell the Lord you're sorry for doing it and you don't want to do it anymore. And ask for him to forgive you, and he will. Confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, which means everything he said about you is true, and everything he said about your future is true, and all that he's done on the cross, and all he said he came to do, he did. And he's worthy of being the boss, and he is the boss. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. The price of your salvation was Christ's death, and his resurrection showed the payment was sufficient. You shall be saved. It would be our joy to welcome you into the family of God. And if you prayed that prayer today, don't leave before you respond. If you're listening to this in some other place, make sure you contact us. Let us know you've come to faith. Let us help you grow. That you might become all that the Lord had planned for you from the very foundation of the world. He made you to do good works. Set it up beforehand that you do them. That it might be clear that Christ came and changed the world. And you're one of those. So we thank you today for a time we can be in worship and in celebration together. Thank you for all of our uh, members who are traveling. I pray that they'll be, bring grace and, and peace where they are and the gospel. Thank you for the fellowship we've had this year. We're grateful for this new year that's upon us, and we trust you in all those things uh, that are coming, that we might just be about these things that you've set us to be about, making a difference in a world that desperately needs some hope. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen.